What's up, everybody? Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Gates podcast, I talk to UFC women's bantamweight and fellow SiriusXM Fight Nation host Nisha Tate to get the details on her new radio show with Renee Paquette throwing down with Renee and Nisha. Also, I share my own introspective thoughts on 9-11 and where we are 20 years later. There's a new thing that she's going to be taking over, and that is Mondays on this very channel, this very time slot. That's right, Misha Tate. Next Monday, it begins. How you doing, Misha? Thank you so much for joining us. Hey. So, um, Renee Paquette, you're going to be hosting Throwing Down with Renee and Misha in this time slot every Monday. I am thrilled. I'm so happy you're here. Tell us how this all came about. How did you know Renee before this? I didn't know Renee before this, really? to be honest. Um, oh, wow. well, I had her on as a guest on our show uh, with Ryan on Wednesday. We had her on, and um, she had this new cookbook that was coming out. So she sent me the cookbook, and um, she just really was – we just hit it off on the show. And uh, I think Marissa just had this brilliant idea to put the two of us together for a show. And uh, she's like, what are we going to call it? Like, I don't know, you know, she came up with this name thrown down. I'm like, it's perfect. Like, she's such a wizard, really. So this is, I can't take any credit for this. Like, it's not a former relationship. It's nothing I did. This is all Marissa working her magic. And she has a talent for putting people together that have these personalities that are, I think are going to, you know, light the world on fire a little bit. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to get a couple mics in front of us and we're going to have a, a good chat for three hours about all things combat and sports world. It's not just MMA. It's not just pro wrestling. It's you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of everything. I think people are gonna have fun with it. I think they will too. And it, it's so it's it makes sense that I'm alone. Because Marissa's like, I know what personalities to light the world on fire. <laughs> no personality. Jimmy all by himself you, for sure. For sure, Jimmy by himself. Jimmy does not work and play well with others. It's so true. Uh, so. How are you managing, and I, I think it's the first thing that occurred to me, it's the first thing that occurred to a lot of people, uh, a mom, an active fighter. We just played, obviously, the end of your comeback against Marion Renault. How are you balancing all this stuff in your life? Easy, difficult, helpful? Tell me about it. You know what I've had to do? Oh, it's so hard. It is very <laughs> challenging. But you know, you know me. I love a good challenge. Yeah, so. I do. <laughs> so I just keep swamping myself. No, I just had to extend my network of help. Like I've hired a personal assistant to this point. Like I got my mama down here. Like I feel like I, I need my mom as much as my kids need me. Like <laughs> that's the reality of it. It's all come full circle. Like mama is everything. I'm like, mom, help. And uh, she does. She's my saving grace. So God bless moms. Dude, you, you can't understand how difficult parenting is, parenting is until you have a kid. And I think there's a big thing yeah. where, like, grandparents, you know, uh, my mom, your mom, whatever. One of the reasons they're like, you need to have kids. You want to have grandkids. I want to have grandkids is so they can go, <laughs> see, see, yes. you little ungrateful piece uh, of crap. Now you and, see and, what I went through, right? What? And you know when they say see, you have to just agree. You're like, yes, I'm I'm sorry, mom. You were so right. Can I kiss your feet? Can I give oh, you a massage? Like, what do you right. need? Like, I I have to like just bow down because I just I know what my mom went through now firsthand, you know? And you thought you appreciated it growing up, but you, no, you don't didn't. have 
you don't know shit. You don't have no any idea. foresight into what it actually takes to be a parent until you're really a parent. And it's so stressful. So it's like, I have these little people's lives that I'm like, kind of like, it's kind of a big deal. Like how I raise them, like, were they going to turn out like to be good people or like, I, I don't want to fail them. So it's a lot of pressure too. So I love my, my mom, my parents, you know, both of them, obviously, you know, my dad's a big part of that too, but nothing like mama, you know, she's down here every other week um helping me out with the kids which is i couldn't do it without her so it's my network it's not just me like i i'm maxed out at all times like <laughs> there's no more misha to be spent anywhere so i have to have people help me so i can prioritize the cool things i want to do like like launching the show so so on throwing are. down you have uh renee paquette who was if you don't know her she was a former wwe superstar she's done a lot of stuff as you said with the cookbook she's kind of all over the place multi-talented yeah. and then there's you current ufc fighter ufc veteran former champion you've been everywhere you've hosted shows yourself um what's the perspective like um two female hosts in what is often a male dominated industry i'm really interested in that perspective what do you think about that Oh, it's, it's unique. I don't know if it's ever been done before, but I think um, Marissa found two qualified candidates who can talk all things sports and shoot the shit and have a good time. And, you know, I love that Renee has such a big personality. I've never followed um, pro wrestling. I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a fan. I went to my first uh, event the other, a uh, couple weeks ago here in Vegas Um it was like a, it was like SummerSlam. Was that what it was called? Right? Yeah, I was there. <laughs> the, yeah, so I was right. there too, and it was totally cool. But I'm just I'm such a newbie. I, I you know she's going to offer such a unique perspective that I don't have in that whole world. And you know, obviously, I can kind of hold her hand a little bit when it comes to the MMA and combat sports world. So I think we're definitely going to have to lean on each other. But she's so fun. She has such a big personality. Plus, she makes the fucking best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had no. in my life. And I don't even like chocolate chip cookies. I'm not a big chocolate chip cookie. I down like two or three and they're big. I went over there to shoot the, the, um, the photo that you see for the launch. Right. So we did right, that yeah. at her house and she had chocolate chip cookies that she had made. And I'm like, Oh, God damn. <laughs> Can I have another one? She's like, ah. so it was, it was amazing. So I know that we can do the show remotely, but I'll probably um, at least once a month try to get over there when I'm not in fight camp just so I can, you know, get down on some of her baking because it's next because level. Because hell yes. <laughs> that is an amazing quality to have in a, a, a broadcast sense. partner. Yeah. RJ Clifford never cooked me anything. That dude is useless. Yeah. He's a clown, okay. right? Right? <laughs> Dang, you know RJ, it's true. Anyways, come on. What kind of uh, yeah, are seriously, you? never baked me anything, not once, the entire time we worked together. So um, is there any sense of, of course, you're taking on, your next one is uh, Caitlin Vieira. She's 11 and 2. That's October 16th. About managing that and, and, and that idea of, because, you know, the whole thing was I got Monday Night Raw and I couldn't, I just couldn't do Mondays anymore. I just couldn't do it. And um, disappointing, but managing Hey, I, I do Monday Night Raw. I got to be back here by 12.30 on Tuesday in order to do our my production call. I get up a lot at 3 in the morning, by the way, on uh, Tuesday morning. So is there any thought of, of managing your fight career and this show and any of those challenges? Has, has that been an issue for you? 
No, it's going to be cool that it's switched to Mondays. I mean, I was yeah. already doing a weekly show. It's just we're adding one more hour. Oh, what's yeah. another hour? You know? I mean, come on. 27 hours in a day is all I would need. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just give me three or four more and I'm great. Yeah. You know, just a, just a few more and I should be able to fit it all in. Um, no, I mean, I'm so excited for it. I already had that time mostly cut out on Wednesdays, but now I'm going to be able to do more wrestling practices on Wednesdays. And, uh, that's, you know, be able to switch my training times around, but it's also perfect because it's in the middle of the day for me. That's my rest period. I usually work out like nine or 10 in the morning. I got the radio show from 11 to two, and then I do my afternoon session. So I'm just, it's basically, I'm going to just hang out and shoot the shit with Renee until I get to go punch people in the face again. I mean, I think it's going to work out perfectly. I mean, how great is that, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's ideal. Very ideal. Hanging out and then punching faces. So uh, speaking, of course, right now to Misha Tate and her new show, Throwing Down with Renee and Misha starts Monday, se- September 13th, 2 p.m. Eastern. So this showtime, but on Mondays, it's going to be Misha Tate and Renee, and that is going to be absolutely awesome. So that little window to you, and I'm really curious about this because I didn't watch Pearl Sing either. I watched it when I was a little kid. Uh, Misha, I'm much older than you. I so I watched that. See? Right. I like watched zero. it as a little kid. You had to in the eighties. Like it was yeah. it was almost you couldn't avoid it in the eighties as a little kid. So I watched it when I was a kid. I stopped watching it about nineteen ninety. And then I got a call to audition for the WWE. And the first thing I said is I haven't watched your product in thirty years. And they said, Great, whatever. Familiar familiarize yourself with it and give us an audition. And now I do Monday Night Raw every week. So that transition was totally bizarre to me, but apparently it worked out. What has it been like as, just like me, an MMA head, seeing pro wrestling have to have some exposure to pro wrestling? What's that been like to you? I'm really curious about this. I was, I I felt, when I went to the first event live, I really felt the charge of the audience. And Look, I look at it and I'm like, but this is not real. Like, that's how I look at it. I'm like, this is not real. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I am a fan of the athletics that go into it. I mean, right. they really train hard and they have to do this every weekend. And so I have a lot of respect for them. And certainly, but I but I have trouble getting into the storylines because I never followed it. Right. But I got to see firsthand how, how much that matters when you are into it. I saw kids bawling their eyes out i saw adults screaming like i hate you like they were just so into these characters and the storyline and so from that perspective i started to grow to understand the real appreciation that goes into it it's like it would be like for me i kind of see like watching a movie yeah okay maybe you don't you know that that movie is it's their actors right but you still can get into it or appreciate it. Or maybe it's, you know, you find a movie that's based on a true story or something. In fact, that's how these people kind of identify with it. Right. It's like, yes, they know, right? But they, they're they still so absorbed in the characters and the storyline and everything that goes into it. And so it was fun. And it kind of enlightened me to the process of like why people are fans of this. Like why people really like it, regardless of the fact that, you know, there's, there's some preconceived. But even... Even the um, apps. Now, this is one thing I learned that I didn't know is that they will feed off of the crowd and change some yeah. of the acts. So it can go a little shorter. It can go a little longer. Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, I thought it was like the, it perfectly scripted out and it went from plan, you know, A to, to B and the, then you're done. Like, I didn't realize there was so much navigating and so much of a science to kind of keeping the audience at its maximal engagement and and that there's a lot of uh you know, that they just start to change things in the middle of the show. Like, I, I didn't know that. That was you know really who, cool. You know who's the king of that? And I learned that from, A, 
uh, people in the locker room, and then I saw it live. John Cena is the king of that. And what I'll tell you is it was John Cena and Riddle, who are two guys on Monday Night Raw, versus a tag team called Mason T-Bar, who are also on Monday Night Raw. And it was a dark match, meaning we're already off television, it's already over, good night. And then for the, for the, the live audience, a lot of times there's one more match that they can see. Well, it was a tag match with John Cena. Now, I took off my headset, I'm sitting ringside, and I'm close enough to hear John Cena talking. I'm, I can hear him. And he kept saying, like, you know, Riddle's, like, struggling in the middle of the ring. And he goes, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Wait, 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 wait. And that pause of, like, no, 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 don't, don't do the move right now. The whole audience, like, got into it and was super tense. And he goes, okay, now. And then when they did it, oh, my God, the, the audience would cry, like, the whole back and make, and, like, let it build. And he that ability, he's do. so good. He's yeah. so good. It's amazing. Yeah. He was and that's fun to watch. He was fun he, to watch. Uh, yeah, because he was there right performing. And uh, Brock Brock Lesnar came out back, you know. Oh. Like, Whoa, that was, that was really cool. So, I mean, I got into it by the end of it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm like, okay, I understand, like, where people get so invested and how fun. And there's always a twist. twist. There's always a cliffhanger. There's always something to make you want to see. Becky Lynch came back. Right. right? That was yep. amazing, too. Huge. Like, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, So... It was great. It really was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the process. You know, I can't claim to be a, a, a true fan. I know there's a lot of diehards out there, but um, you know, I'm, I think Renee's going to be able to 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 teach me more about that whole world and really help me to understand um, how it all works and and the things that I can appreciate. Like I was blown away. I had no idea. I I really didn't know that they um, changed their their. Uh, the, the act i don't know what you would even call that what do you even call it like the act in the middle of it right that there's spots they call them spots so they would change yeah. a, a move where like they're in the corner they do something that's called a spot like oh this spot will do yeah. this so they limit the number yeah. of spots it's like oh we're gonna take that yeah. spot out and put that so they call them spots yeah. generally speaking yeah. yeah yeah okay spots yeah so there's like a leopard changing its spots then they were doing exactly. that exactly <laughs> they do that in the middle of the match or they'll come out and go, cool. all right we're heavy on time this has to be three minutes so this match is boom 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 and it's over you're like yeah because they were yeah. short on time but they do that. Yeah. It's incredible. Misha, I cannot wait to check out Monday. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say. Tremendous respect for you, not just as an athlete and a fighter, but as a broadcaster. I think you're amazing. I can't wait to check the show out. Congratulations. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, you'll have to let me know how, how you think it goes after Monday. I think it's going to be I fun. will. I will. All it's right, going right. to be great. Misha Tate, ladies and gentlemen, check it out Monday, September 13th. That's right. Throwing down with Renee and Misha. And it's going to be every Monday afternoon in this spot, 2 to 5. Don't miss it. Misha, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Hi, everyone. I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Visser, and I've got a new podcast, In Conversation, where I'll draw from 45 years of covering the Final Four, the NBA Finals, Wimbledon, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Olympics. CBS even sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall. I think you'll enjoy the give and take, so subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app included in most subscriptions. 20 years ago, tomorrow, was the attacks of September 11th, uh, 2001. And I was old enough to, I was 23 years old at the time, so I remember them very, 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 very well. And the one thing, I talked to Dave LaGrecki yesterday, who had, who is, who made, of course, a, a podcast about 
SmackDown 48 hours later and pro wrestling coming back and what that meant for people and all these things and, and, and the turmoil of that time. And I think the most amazing thing about it, what, when I think about it, is the vulnerability we all felt. Because if you study your, your history, I think the one thing that stands out to you is for Americans, for the, uh, you know, the 20th century, war has been something that happens over there. It was never here. It was always somewhere else. And so I think 9-11 was the first time Americans had felt vulnerable since probably the Cuban Missile Crisis, that today might be war. Something horrible might happen right now to all of us. And my generation had never experienced really anything like that. I lived through the Cold War of the 80s, but by the 80s, the Cold War wasn't what it was in my father's generation in the 1960s, where war seemed inevitable. That, that wasn't really the 80s. It was still there. It wasn't as formidable. It wasn't as sharp. So 9-11 was the first time Americans as a whole felt vulnerable, felt unsafe, felt unsure. Felt like we didn't know what was going to happen. The first MMA event I remember after 9-11 was Pride 16. And that was September 24th. That was in Japan. And that was a night. And it was, I believe Guy Mesker did an interview about it. If I remember correctly, Guy Mesker fought that night. He lost to Ricardo Arona in a very, very close fight. It was surreal for him, he said, to be walking out. And if you were there and you remember it, you know, two weeks after 9-11, things were still up in the air. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what the fallout would be. It was a time we, we didn't understand. And we were still kind of in this cloud of misunderstanding. And to be fighting and walking down a ramp carrying an American flag, which Guy Misker did, uh, was strange. It was weird. It was We didn't know uh, exactly what the significance of what we're doing was. And I think that's it. That, that's what sticks with me more than anything. And there's a little bit of that with COVID, where when COVID hit, you know, was it worth having people in a stadium for an NFL event, for an NBA event, for a Major League Baseball? When short, when, when, when sports shut down and we had that shortened, you know, the, the shortened seasons and everything, we as a society question how valuable something like sports is, right? Because compared to a national tragedy, it's not a big deal. Compared to a rampaging virus, it's not a big deal. But it's also something that makes us feel better. It's also something that helps us heal as a society. It's also something that takes our minds off reality. But it was the first time in my life where we, we wanted that break, but we also didn't want to to not face what we were going through. We didn't want, and I'm not speaking for everybody, I'm saying myself personally and people around me that communicated this, we didn't want our minds off of it. We didn't, we knew this was a big deal. We knew this was 
you know, a history-making event. We knew this was a generationally defining event. And so other things just seemed small. Other things seemed less significant. There's a fighter, Jerry Bolander, who uh, took on Tito Ortiz, lost to him in the UFC. He was an early contender in the middleweight, which became light heavyweight divisions. Division, I'm sorry. Um, he was a pretty good pioneer fighter out of Lions Den. After 9-11, he stopped fighting and became a cop. He's still a sheriff, I believe, up in Ventura County. And when asked about it, he said fighting just didn't seem meaningful after 9-11. I should do something else with my life. I should not, okay, fighting's fun, but I need to do more. I need to contribute more. I need to do something. I, I, he felt the need to give back in a way that, that fighting wasn't doing. And it's that sense of perspective that tragedy gives us, fortunately and unfortunately, that was so on display at 9-11. And, and obviously the weeks after 9-11. What's important? What is, what is real? What is community about? What is uh, a country about? What is, what is everything about vis-a-vis a, a tragedy that shocks everyone? And when I look back on it, that's what I remember the most. Is, is like, what do all these things that we thought were important really mean at the end? It brought us together in ways that the tragedies since have not in any way. I would argue the tragedies since then have torn us further apart. But this one really brought us together briefly as a nation. And it was hard to even, it was hard to fathom before that. And it's hard to explain to people after that. People in their 20s, like like Kelly, who don't remember it or, you know, were little kids and it's hard to to even explain how it felt walking down the street the week after that. I remember when it happened, and remember I live on, on the West Coast. I lived in, in Long Beach at the time. I remember watching the news and all this stuff. They grounded every flight, and I walked out, and I lived near Long Beach Airport, and I walked out. I was, I was watching at a friend's house, and I walked out on the lawn, and I looked over at Long Beach Airport. And the first time in my entire life, I looked all over the sky, and there were no planes in the sky. And the only reason I did that is I said, I'll never, I'm never going to see this again. Hopefully. I looked around, and there were, there were no planes in the sky. No planes were taken off from Long Beach Airport. Nobody was going to LAX, flying over Southern California. There was nothing. And that, I don't want to say nostalgia, Nostalgia's for tragedies, right? The way everybody talks about where they were during the Kennedy assassination and the Cuban Missile Crisis and all this stuff. What it, what it, what it overlooks to me, and it was one of the things I talked to my father about, about the Cuban Missile Crisis. He was in the military at the time. He was in the Air Force during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he said, we thought we were going to war, and that was it. We were preparing for war. I was at Hickam Air Force Base, and I was preparing the, the Pacific Fleet, helping to prepare it, the communications and stuff. We were going to war in 24 hours. Nuclear war with, the, with Soviet Russia, and that was it. We were all going to die, because you know they target Pearl Harbor and Hickam. I'm, I'm a dead man in 24 hours. I, I, I really believe that. And that fear and that insecurity 
after 9-11 was real. We didn't know if it would ever start up again when planes got grounded. I knew people that were stuck in all kinds of places all over the world. Couldn't get home. It wasn't possible. TSA and their inspections getting onto a plane didn't exist yet. (laughs) You could walk onto a plane in 20 minutes. People got to the airport half hour before their flight took off. They walked through a scanner that took two seconds. Beep, beep, you're done. And that was it. All the liquids you want. That procedure didn't exist. So the insecurity of it was, are we going to make one? How are we going to do that? And I can't explain to you that, that fear and insecurity. I can't express it to you if you weren't alive. We made it up as we went along. And that was the frightening part of it, is we didn't know if it was over. We knew it was part of a, a, a much larger attack. We had no idea. And sports coming back. For people that remember, obviously, everybody listening to my voice remembers, sports coming back after slowly after COVID, the controversy behind that, and if you're an MMA fan, the controversy of the UFC coming back, and is it safe, and can we do it, and... and we didn't have that after 9-11. There are obviously security screenings, and they didn't want an attack at a major stadium, and they were really worried about that. So the screenings we all go through now, getting into a stadium, that, that didn't exist before 9-11. So we tried to figure out how to do it safely, but it was a very different kind of safety concern. And sports coming back after 9-11 was almost universally applauded. Unlike COVID, where it was, you know, we were concerned about how, you know, is it, is it worth this sport, whatever it might be, basketball, baseball, football, MMA, to risk exposing people? It was a different kind of thing. And we all really got behind sports after 9-11 as a reminder that life could return to normal because recreational activities, be it sports or whatever it is you do for recreation, is the first thing to go when something's wrong. It's the first thing to go. First thing to go is sports. First thing to go is whatever you do for, for recreation or vacation. And when it comes back, there's that sense of we can all be normal again. The struggles of 9-11 have defined this century. And centuries don't begin at a certain date. They don't begin at midnight. They don't begin at a certain time. They begin when there is a struggle or a problem or a situation that defines how we see one another and our place in the world. For the 20th century, the start of the 20th century is World War I. That is the start of the 20th century. The issues of the 20th century revolve around World War I. It's the start of communism in Russia. It was the breakup of essentially the monarchies in Europe. The struggles of World War I created World War II. The struggles of World War II defined the 20th century. And that's basically over when the Berlin Wall falls, and I remember it very, very well at the end of the 80s. The struggles of 9-11 are still with us. Afghanistan right now and everything in the news about that, the reason we were in Afghanistan is because of 9-11. And so it's been in so many ways the, the catalyst for how we see the world now. And the worry that it could happen again or the concern that it could happen again certainly defines my generation. 
in ways that we never thought was possible. If you haven't seen it, and I know some people listening to my voice aren't old enough to have seen it, I want you to watch Fight Club, not because of the movie itself, although I do like it, I do think it's fun, to understand the 90s, to understand life before 9-11. We had a very popular movie whose major theme was it sucks we haven't been through enough tragedies. My generation was called Generation X. The reason we are called that is not enough things went wrong when we were young. Wrap your effing head around that. We have no great war. We have no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. A spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. A main character in a movie said that. Tyler Durden in Fight Club said that, had the arrogance and audacity to say, God, we haven't had a Great Depression. Boo effing who? Wham, wham, wham. Why doesn't everything go wrong for us? Well, guess what? It did. The arrogance of that statement and that sentiment floors me now. That people named my generation. Because they thought we were soft because nothing had gone wrong. I have lived through 9-11 right when I got out of college. I lived through the greatest financial collapse since the Great Depression. And I lived through a pandemic that has so far killed over half a million people in the United States. I would kill to be Tyler Durden in, what was it, 1998, complaining nothing had gone wrong. That ended on September 11th, 2001. To understand that is to understand this century. I'm proud everything came back. I'm proud we as a society dealt with it the way we did. I'm proud that sports has always been something that could take people's minds off things for two seconds, and I'm proud to be part of that. But it was a time that unless you live through it, you can't understand. And if you did do if you did live through it, you got something else to appreciate. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and Sirius XM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. Sirius XM Podcasts.